This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. America urged its citizens to leave Ukraine, saying it believes Russia will step up strikes against civilian infrastructure and government facilities in the coming days. A statement from the American embassy in Kyiv, Ukraine's capital, follows a Ukrainian government ban on public celebrations of the country's Independence Day on Wednesday. That will also mark six months since Russia's invasion. America's private sector activity contracted for a second month in August, according to S&P's Global Flash Survey of Purchasing Managers. The service sector recorded a steeper rate of decline than industry, as inflation choked demand. The dollar and short-dated U.S. government bond yields reversed to their recent climb amid fresh concerns about America's economy. Twitter's former head of security, Peter Zatko, accused the company of failing to protect user data and lying about its security problems, according to Whistleblower Aid, the organization that helped file his complaint to regulators. The accusation comes ahead of a court battle in October between Twitter and Elon Musk, a tech billionaire, over a failed deal to buy the social media platform for $44 billion. Malaysia's federal court upheld the conviction of Najib Rajak, the former prime minister, on charges related to a multi-billion dollar corruption scandal at one Malaysia development Berhad, a state fund. Mr. Najib was found guilty in July 2020 of illegally receiving about $10 million from a former unit of 1MDB, charges that he denies. He was sentenced to 12 years in jail and a 210 million ringgit, $46.8 million, fine. Donald Trump sued America's Department of Justice in an effort to freeze an investigation into confidential documents he allegedly stashed at Mar-a-Lago, his Florida estate. The former president wants a third-party special master appointed to review the evidence. He also demanded the FBI return items removed during a search of his home if they were beyond the scope of its warrant. The New York Times reported that more than 300 classified documents had been recovered, some bearing top-secret markings. Mr. Trump said the raid was politically motivated. Growth in Japan's manufacturing sector slowed to its lowest level since January 2021, as stuttering global demand, rising costs, and the continuing effects of the COVID-19 pandemic hit the country's factories. Ao Jibun Bank's Purchasing Managers Index, a key benchmark, fell from 52.1 in July to 51 in August, preliminary readings showed. Australia's government will allow the construction of a fertilizer plant near an important Aboriginal heritage site on Western Australia's Burrup Peninsula. Some of the rock carvings, which include what are thought to be the oldest images of a human face, can now be moved to allow for construction. The plant's backers, Perdiman Industries, said that the 4.5 billion Australian dollar, 3.1 billion US dollar urea plant will create 2,000 local jobs. And fact of the day. 
2.9. The number of children the average Israeli woman has. Her British and French peers have 1.6 and 1.8, respectively. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Six months of Russia's war in Ukraine. Wednesday marks the sixth month anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Russia has failed to meet any of its military objectives, conquering Kiev, the capital, capturing the eastern Donbass region, or seizing Ukraine's coastline. Around 15,000 Russians have been killed, according to the Pentagon, roughly the same number that died in the Soviet Union's decade-long occupation of Afghanistan. The front lines have barely moved in recent weeks, though Ukraine hopes to push Russian troops out of Kershon, a city in the south, in the coming months. Both armies are exhausted. The Kremlin's gamble is that America and European support for Ukraine will fall away over the winter, as spiraling gas prices pile on domestic pressures. That, in turn, could pave the way for a deal that leaves perhaps one-fifth of the country in Russian hands. Ukraine, unwilling to see its dismemberment, will hit back with rocket strikes and partisan activity. No one thinks the war will be over by Christmas. Chipping at NVIDIA's bottom line NVIDIA, one of the world's leading chip companies, reports its financial results on Wednesday. They will be dire. So bad, in fact, that the firm offered a preview earlier this month, hoping to dampen the shock to the markets. The Californian company said it expected to book revenues of $6.7 billion in the second financial quarter down 19% from the same period last year, and 17% lower than the $8.1 billion it had forecast in May. The culprit is weaker post-pandemic demand for electronics, especially high-end gaming systems, for which NVIDIA supplies powerful graphics chips. Many of those cards had also been used to mine cryptocurrencies, but the crypto meltdown has snapped demand here, too. NVIDIA's rivals, Intel, Qualcomm, and AMD, have also missed revenue forecasts. On his earnings call, Jensen Huang, NVIDIA's CEO, will be trying hard to show investors a path back to growth. Oil and Toil Elections in Angola For nearly three decades, the People's Movement for the Liberation of Angola MPLA, Angola's ruling party, fought an on-off civil war with the National Union for the Total Independence of Angola, UNITA. The MPLA won in 2002, ushering in a period of peace and multi-party democracy. On Wednesday, the southern African country will hold its fifth general election. There are few other reasons to celebrate, though. President Joao Lorenzo, who replaced José Eduardo dos Santos in 2017, on pledges to cut back, graft, and reform the economy, has disappointed. Angolans are frustrated that their oil-dependent state serves only a small elite, leaving the majority in poverty. Such sentiment has bolstered support for UNITA. 
Yet it is unlikely to defeat the MPLA, which has used its hold on the state apparatus to hobble the opposition. That leaves free reign to the paranoid party dominated by securocrats spouting revolutionary rhetoric while gorging on the fruits of crony capitalism. Britain reigns in the hosepipes. Britain, like much of the world, is parched. July this year was the driest since 1935. On Wednesday, Thames Water, London's main water utility, will impose a hosepipe ban on its 15 million customers to curtail the cleaning of cars, filling of pools, and watering of gardens. Other water companies across southern England and Wales have already taken similar steps. Water firms reckon such measures typically cut usage by around 10%, but evidence suggests that the less radical measure of simply informing people about their water consumption could help more. Almost half of respondents to a survey in 2020 said they used less than 20 liters a day. The true figure is closer to 150 liters. Water meters typically reduce usage by around 15%, but are deployed in only 60% of British homes. They can help identify leaks, too. Nearly one-fifth of Britain's drinking water is lost to burst pipes, which become more frequent in extreme heat. Welsh football goes to Hollywood. It was the kind of change of fate that usually only strikes in films. In September 2020, Ryan Reynolds, star of Deadpool, and Rob McElhaney, the creator of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, a sitcom, announced their intention to buy Wrexham FC. The club, the oldest in Wales, was languishing in the fifth tier of Britain's football leagues. The Hollywood actors were not lifelong footy fans. They had no experience running such an institution. We had no direct connection, Mr. McElhenney told a supporter. It was just a feeling. Mr. McElhenney also said that Wrexham reminded him of the working-class Philadelphia of his childhood. Naturally, the pair brought along a camera crew to chart the ups and downs of their inaugural season. On Wednesday, Welcome to Wrexham, the resulting docuseries, premieres in America on FX. One day later, it will be released in Britain on Disney+. The series is poignant and often funny. Wrexham's fans and staff have high hopes for their club under its new management. Mr. Reynolds, too, hopes it will triumph on the field. It's an underdog story, he says. And it still is. Since the takeover, Wrexham have remained in the fifth tier. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Wednesday Who was the British Foreign Secretary during the 2003 Iraq War? Tuesday. What was the traditional nickname for IBM, based on its logo? 
Finally, here's the quote of the day from Jorge Luis Borges, who died on this day in 1899. To die for a religion is easier than to live it absolutely. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.